This week, we explore the scary world of dynamic application security testing. In the news segment, we look at a persistent menace to e-commerce, Renew, review another driver in Kubernetes policy enforcement, check out the state of software security, and more. Stay tuned for Application Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv/asw and use the code ASW30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. Signal Sciences secures the most important web applications, APIs, and microservices of the world's leading companies, protecting over 7,500 applications and 150 billion production requests per week. Signal Sciences NextGen WAF and RASP help companies increase security and maintain site reliability without sacrificing velocity, all at the lowest total cost of ownership. Signal Sciences patented technology protects any application against any attack with integrations into any DevOps toolchain. Signal Sciences demand more from your WAF. Learn more at signalsciences.com forward slash PSW. Welcome to Application Security Weekly. This is episode 82, recorded October 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with Matt Alderman. Hey, Matt. Good morning. Happy Winter Wonderland from Colorado. Ah, and happy the week of Halloween here from California and everywhere else. And uh, we also have John Kinsella with us this week. John, hello. Howdy, happy, happy, welcome from, let's try those words from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Just got off stage doing a talk here about five minutes ago, so still amped up. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll keep you amped and we'll dive into um, a good topic once we read it, uh, an announcement. We have exciting news about the uh, Security Weekly webcast program. We are now partnered with ISC Squared as an official CPE provider. If you attend any of our webcasts, you will receive one CPE credit per webcast. Register for one of our upcoming webcasts with Bryce Schroeder and Barbara Kay of ServiceNow, Kevin O'Brien of Greathorn, or Steve Lobenstein of Core Security or all of them, by going to securityweekly.com. Click the webcast drop-down and select Registration. If you have missed any of our previously recorded webcasts, you can find our on-demand library by selecting On-Demand from the webcast drop-down. So this week, we didn't have a guest, but we do have a topic. So broadly speaking, we, throughout the last, uh, you know, throughout this uh, podcast series, we've been covering different components of the Microsoft, uh, as they describe it, the security development lifecycle, the SDL. And the SDL has 12 broad practices, everything from creating security requirements to managing third-party risk in third-party apps to having incident response for your apps. But one of those things is actually finding bugs in your applications, and that is 
both source analysis, which we've touched on a little bit, but this time I thought we would dive into dynamic application security testing, which is really the fancy way of saying bug bounties, pen testing, and security scanners. So with of those three major approaches to finding flaws, Pen testing is probably the, the oldest and most vulnerable, just in the sense that that's where most people started with doing manual analysis, pulling apart applications from the, looking at the web, looking at them from the web browser, finding out what could go wrong. Then scanners started to be created um, because lots of times people were finding that pen testing is very routine and it can get kind of boring. It also doesn't necessarily scale very well. And then bug bounties emerged. In other words, going back from the idea of lots of scanning to lots of manual testing. But all of these three major components of dynamic app testing have a lot of pros and cons to them. They have advantages, disadvantages, both in the sense of the economics of the testing, the scale of the testing, and possibly what's equally important, if not even more important, the quality of testing. So with that little bit of preamble, Matt, John, I was curious if you were given, you, you are now a uh, CISO or you're heading up a product security team and you have a budget and you have a DevOps team behind you, would you pick any one of these three in particular, or is there you know, slightly more challenging put, uh, would you avoid any one of these three in particular? Mm, can of worms. Can of worms. But we've only got a small budget to spend. Small budget to spend. I'm a DevOps shop, and I'm trying to figure out whether dynamic scanning, either doing it myself, doing it with a third party, or going to a bug bounty program is going to work. My guess is with a small budget, I would attempt to do aspects of dynamic testing myself as part of my CI/CD pipeline, where I can spin the application up into a staging environment, maybe as I'm doing QA testing, I can also run certain dynamic tests against it. Now, it's not gonna be as deep as hiring a pen testing firm or even with a bug bounty program where somebody can take a much deeper dive, but those, you know, that's a lot of money to spend. And, and the question is that the biggest bang for the buck if you're just starting to move into the space, so I would use a dynamic scanner, and look, I'm, I'm probably have to be cheap here a little bit. I got to look at a burp suite or something to try to figure out how to integrate in some specific tests in, into that part of my process and see what kind of results I can get to improve my code. Later, I might have to do a pen test or something else, but I, I don't know you start there. I think it's tough. Yeah, I think one of the things is sort of that, that the unspoken in that in that approach is approach is that idea of how, what's the maturity of the application security program in general you're going after, because I think if you were to go with pen testing, you, you might be overspending in the sense of, oh, here here's some good pen testers. They came in, showed up a bunch of the very obvious um, cross-site scripting, some of the the basic problems with if you don't have CSRF deployed at, at the framework level for your web application, something like that. So yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. Do some scanning internally, because I think the other thing that I like about um, you know, that, that thought process, especially if you're starting with a small team, is that scanning starts to bring that appreciation and concern for security on an ongoing basis, rather than 
we're going to do one pen test a year or maybe two pen tests a year, and that's the only time we ever think about security. And then I will say, we haven't really dived into that aspect of bug bounties yet, but if you haven't done any security testing for your application, doing diving in straight with a bug bounty, it, it, that is going to be throwing away money because now you're going to get a whole bunch of people finding a whole bunch of vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of them will likely be duplicates. And so that's going to take your time to respond to all those duplicates. And you're going to be paying for not the act of finding the vulnerabilities like pen testing does, but you're going to be paying for the volume of vulnerabilities in your application. So if you're starting from an unknown, you know, from uncertainty and you don't even have an idea or even a level of confidence how much, how many vulnerabilities might be in your app, one of the bug bounty first is really setting you up to fail from a budget perspective. So there's one time when you do a pen test initially, not only mm -hmm. one time. Um, previous president of ours was uh, fond of the phrase shock and awe. Uh, there are certain times when you need to scare the bejesus out of your organization. Uh, that's when you, and I'd say probably at that point in time, don't find the most expensive pen test team. Find find the B team or C team because they're still going to find stuff and, and give you a nice like fifty page report. Turn around, take that back to management, and then start doing something with it. That that's when you do it. That's the only time you should be doing a pen test up front. Um, from my own personal background, the if I had to do, we're talking about dynamic testing, so we'll stay with that, but. Um, for a pen test, I think they should be focused. Don't, you know, it's, as a pen tester, I love to be told, hey, carte blanche, we've got a huge budget, go and hack out it however you want to and find what you can figure out. Otherwise, if you're, you know, if I'm on the other side writing the checks, I want that to be targeted, right? So let's look at my application. How much my application is actually going to be exposed? Um, who's my, who's the attacker who I'm actually thinking about? Right, so do a little bit of threat modeling initially. I think the threat modeling is probably even more important still than the the scanning of the bug bounty. Think about who you think is actually going to try and attack you, and then look at it from their point of view, and then get a few good pen testers to go and actually um, act like that particular persona. Um, but yeah, the scanning, get rid of the low level fruit, the low hanging fruit. That that stuff is so easy to find nowadays, um, for cheap if not free. And then based off that, then go through, fix those issues. And as you've gained more competence in your application yourself, then you go back through and hire the, the, the hired guns. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with breadth versus, versus depth in the initial scanning. Yeah. Um, because, look, there are some great DAS tools out there that can go really deep into an application, but they also need some skill set behind them to go that deep. Uh, and, and probably... Based on initial uh, your initial maturity level, you're not going to go there. But now you can look at tools that have a lot uh, some more automation to them. Again, low cost or free, that gives you a good breadth to identify that low hanging fruit to really make those improvements. Then the next step may be to go a little deeper yourself before you go to a pen tester, just so that the pen that way you know you're getting the value for the pen test and things you can't test yourself. So I think a lot of it will have to also that comes into play here is breadth versus depth initially. And then as you get better depth in your testing, then going outside to a pen tester and or a bug bounty program is a way to continue to mature, looking for those kind of corner cases you can't test for yourself. Yeah, I like to look at scanners from the perspective of not so much as that they're going to really relying on them as a strong discovery tool for flaws, but more as a way to uh, manage regression testing for security flaws specifically. Because scanners, um, 
obviously they will find some good SQL, basic SQL injection, cross-site scripting, a lot of the injection-based types of, of attacks. But one of the great things about scanners is that they are low effort in the sense of running them continuously. They do need, and John you know, mentioned this, they do need some curation, they do need some manual um, care and feeding to get them nicely tuned to a particular application. But once you find a bug, now you can have that scan run every single release or whatever the, you know, whatever reasonable cadence is so that that one particular bug doesn't come back as well as hopefully that bug doesn't show up elsewhere within um, different workflows, within different um, URLs. But that aspect of having people come in, having that, that manual penetration test to do that shock and awe sort of approach is a great way to highlight it, on the one hand what scanners aren't going to find in a lot of workflow and functionality type of uh, logical steps, you know, that's the the catchphrase of calling out business logic. But um, people can, you know, an external pen testing team, or depending on you know how your organization modeled with internal pen testing team, can also very helpfully put a lot of those flaws into context. And so they say, yeah, you know, this scanner maybe it found a bunch of misconfigurations, and maybe even found some SQL injection. But to exploit that SQL injection, you already would have to be a trusted developer running, you know, changing a configuration file on a production system that's going through a CI/CD process. Whereas this other particular workflow that the penetration testers found, they're demonstrating that there's a logic flaw in how a coupon is being applied during the checkout process. And rather than 10% off, you can apply this 10% off multiple times so that you're selling, you know, widgets are being sold for one cent or something ridiculous like that. That's also much more impactful when you talk about um, impact, like financial impact or reputational impact onto the application. So I definitely like the idea of throwing pen testing into it, but it's definitely not one of those things that you can do consistently and on a regular basis, just because it does, of course, get very expensive. Yeah, I mean, there have you know been some be services out there that have attempted to do this on a regular basis. The question is how effective for the money are they right. versus right. really good pen testers to really do a deep dive into the app. Yep. And one thing uh, to add there, one of my sort of standard things I have to mention, the difference between a um, penetration test with actual human beings to know what they're doing and think like humans versus what I refer to as a point-and-click penetration test, which is what a scan is. Mm. I'll occasionally get people out there saying, hey, a, you know, calling a, a scan a penetration test. No, no, if, if it's if it's algorithms and it's not being done by a human, um, we ain't got wetware in the, in the in the in that little combination going on there, then it's a scan. So that that's it's a small thing. It, it's something that bugs some of us in the security industry, but it's actually really important, right? Because the difference there is yeah, you can you can have a subscription for a pen tester to come through if you've really got a you got that black card and you need to spend some money on it. But um, the pen tester, the human, is able to think differently, right? When they see data come back, they're able to go, "Hey, I read about something in a uh, um, you know one of the they were listening to application security last week and they got some new ideas for a new attack and they're going to try this on the application." Um, or they're familiar with this company and they know what the application is doing. And so there's there's thought process going in there uh, versus the 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 scanners just doing, you know, even with machine learning, it's doing steps one through five, and, and that's where the way it goes. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and I think th that's a good tie-in because one of the things I usually also focus on too is, John, you made the distinction between manual pen testing, human thinking, that, 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 that wetware. Um, you know, we're not, we don't have our cybernetic future quite yet where we have our scanners hooked up to brains, but that's a lot different from the, just the point and click pen tests where someone's using a nicely tuned scanner. And if you're going to go into the bug bounty um, area as well, one of the things about bug bounty, you're possibly also now subsidizing people running scanners, multiple instances of the same scanner against your own system. Um, it, so in the sense that, you know, Matt mentioned Burp. So Burp or even Zed Attack Proxy, if you want the open source one, uh, you know, a similar um, type of tool from OWASP or a DNS brute forcer, or one of the handful of open source, you know, single purpose tools that go and scan through uh, misconfigured S3 buckets or Elasticsearch um, endpoints. Essentially, if you just turn on a bug bounty, you haven't done any particular testing. Now you've given um, carte blanche to people who are just trying to run scanners to find bugs, and you're if you're paying for the types of bugs that those bug bounty researchers are getting from scanners, you probably should have been running that scanner yourself. Um, the, the, you know, Burp has a lot of great automation to it. Just run it, see what it finds, because otherwise now you've got 10 people who maybe found a SQL injection vulnerability that you may have to shell out a few thousand dollars for and spend all the time telling all the other reporters that, sorry, you were the second, third, fourth, and fifth person to report this, so you weren't first <laughs> to, you know, you, you didn't draw blood first against this app. And um, so there's a lot of messiness that can happen there if you don't go into a bug bounty program without a sense of maturity first in your application security program, or if you, and you haven't gotten rid of, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding that there's always that cliche term from, from evolution and um, how, how fruit hangs off tree branches and what the animals go for. But these are really the simple misconfigurations or simple vulns that are easy to find. And if a scanner can find it and a human running the scanner can find it, that's what you should be putting in your CICD pipeline and then leave the more sophisticated type of testing that requires some brain power and machine learning, perhaps, <laughs> to, to the pen testing the humans in a bug bounty program. Well, that's why um, I think you see the large tech companies with the big payouts on their bug bounty programs. It's Google, it's yeah. Apple. It's guys that are very mature in their overall development and they're looking for those corner cases. They're looking for those scenarios of, of an attack that they haven't accounted for in their own programs that could also have huge damage to their brands, right? And that's, that's when I think bug bounty programs are very effective is when the Apples and the Googles who are extremely mature say, look, if you can find a remote ex a remote exploit on an iPhone, I'm going to pay you a million bucks for it, right? Because that's a scenario no one's been able to find. And if somebody finds it, they're willing to pay to close that down. That's when bug bounties become effective. But until you're at that level, I think it's really hard to justify those. Absolutely. And question. I sort of – go ahead. I was just going to ask a question to, to both of you guys, um, and this is philosophical. Um, so with – Pen testers, or excuse me, not pen tests, with bug bounties, one of the things, you know, we've had a few different stories over the last year or so is researchers that are um, complaining about, you know, some organizations not being in a, not actually offering a bug bounty program. 
um, if you had to have this this little pool of money that we're talking about here, um, and you had the choice of spending it either on a pen test or a bug bounty, where a bug bounty would probably go more directly to that researcher that's doing work, um, any thoughts about the pros and cons of that? Mm. So that's interesting because that t that touches on an angle I wanted to um, also make sure we mention too is and especially for the audience listening to Application Security Weekly that they're doing the testing themselves. So if you're more on that sort of that that red team side as opposed to blue team, um, what you you, you kind of snuck in a great phrase there, John, in the sense of you know over the past couple of year researchers saying oh you know i wish you know wish there was a bug bounty program or some way to report this vulnerability and if we had a budget to spend for that work what's really interesting is that bug bounties are actually not set up to pay for work they're set up mm -hmm. only to pay for results so That's, literally yeah. you're just paying for somebody to run you know click scan on burp and walk away for a few hours, come back, and then cut and paste into a bug bounty program. That's not much work, but maybe they'll get a few thousand dollars off it if they hit the jackpot and find a nice vuln. Someone else, however, if they're poking around like a security researcher and they're finding something that's really interesting in a workflow, some logic problem, or some way that I think it was Instagram, um, if I remember correctly, that had a really neat way of, um, if you of attacking their uh, two-factor auth and essentially brute forcing because the there were some ways around some of the rate limiting. That's a really interesting, insightful type of analysis. Um, and the researcher got paid for the impact of that analysis, but the researcher got paid regardless of if they spent one hour, one day, or one week on that particular topic. And um, so that's why I see one of the major flaws of the, the economics of the bug bounty program, because it doesn't really, you can spend a lot of time, which can be well spent in the sense of learning. It's a great way to learn, to practice, um, just for, for those researchers who have the spare time and the desire to just, you know, practice, exercise, exercise their, their, their brain, um, try out some new scanners of their own for that matter. But it's not a great way to actually say, I want to make a living off this. Because if you look at the researchers who are making, you know, a hundred thousand or even a million dollars plus, that is a vanishingly small percentage of the long tail of all the other researchers that are doing that type of testing. So, um, wrapping, you know, summarizing to think if I actually answered your question, I think my question would still be: with that small budget, I would still throw it into a pen testing pool, but make sure that I had a way to respond to and interact with researchers who are submitting vulnerabilities and just want to get things fixed and then starting to work out as an organization how can we award and encourage more of this so eventually in our maturity model we can get to those big orgs like the apples like the googles where we have hand waved in this conversation all these other sdl practices like threat modeling source analysis hardening third party, you know, um, dependency checking, all of these other things that really should be in place before we dump, jump into a, a detailed discussion of pen testing. Um, and that's how I would um, sort of slightly cheat at the answer and um, explain how I would spend that money. Yeah, I think going after bug bounty directly, you're not prepared, you're not necessarily prepared. 
uh, to how to respond to these vulnerabilities as they come in. I think you, you still need a level of maturity, and I, I still think you want to go through that pen test first uh, and really understand how these things come through, how to fix them, how to resolve them before you spend the money on the bug bounty program. Because to, to Mike's point, you're opening the kimono to a lot of people, and so you're going to get results coming from various angles. And if you haven't really understood how to take third-party criticism through a pen test, I think it's going to be really hard to take that from <laughs> N different outside entities. Yeah, I well, think one of the other aspects too is that, especially even if you're using a pen test, is a great because you have access to you know people you've paid to give you security insight. But if you're just taking the results of the pen test and you're fixing just those results and you stop there, then in a way you've still actually haven't gotten the value out of the pen test. Meaning, did you actually go back and look at the architecture of this and say how could the how could we have made it harder to exploit these particular vulnerabilities? Or, you know, the pen test, maybe it is narrowly focused. Um, did you go back and do you have either source analysis or do you have other scanner where you can look to say, is this particular pattern that these pen testers found, does that exist anywhere else? Let's go find that and knock those down as well. And um, pen testers have really, it's a great way to have that conversation with them to help also build up that scanning program so that you're benefiting from not just fixing that one flaw, but we're responding to that flaw over time, or even better, going to something like, we're just gonna build our front end in React and we're gonna get rid of an entire attack class like cross-site scripting in one fell swoop. Yeah. Yeah, that's- I think John, you were gonna say something, yeah. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. You've, you've got my, my brain sort of wandering. I think, so there, there's something I'll hit upon really quickly, just sort of a random idea for a startup out there if people are looking for something. Um, the concept of having a database of, I mean, you sort of have this, but it, the, having a, um, a knowledge set for a particular type of application. Um, so if somehow you're able to finger, fingerprint application, you see either a, um, a file in there or something, and then based off that, knowing how to attack that. I know it, people go say that exists, John. I'm not quite talking about what you have in like a standard scan. He might have lost his Wi-Fi. Might have lost his Wi-Fi. So yeah, his wandering brain wandered a little bit too far off and we lost him. But I think, you know, I, I'm going to guess a little bit uh, is that where he was going with that is that um, that idea of if you're not building up a knowledge base of security testing and keeping track of these are the vulns that that we you know that we are managing. And these are the ones that are just building and accruing and we can't really get rid of them. Or we just think they're also, because one of the aspects we haven't talked about, we think these are lower risk and we'll get around to them when we fix them or when we, when we have time to do so. Whereas when we're triaging, here's an RCE and pretty much nine times out of 10, everyone's going to jump on that particular RCE. Um, one of the other things that I think is interesting that speaking of like large organizations and bug bounties is we've also seen large organizations start to turn to data handling bug bounties. So Facebook has done this and um, I want to say Google and possibly Apple has started as well, but I, I, may, I might not be right on Apple, but um, Facebook and Google have started to say, if you report to us a a third-party app that's misusing our API, either it is creating some sort of anti-pattern and tricking people into accepting 
um, very egregious privacy policies, or it's extracting or misusing data APIs in a way that's not intended by the terms of service, then they would actually award that. So it's sort of setting up, a, it's basically NARC on apps. Um, sort of bug bounty program. And um, hopefully it's actually effective rather than more of a lip service to sort of a, a privacy controls. But I think that's kind of an interesting thing to see as this sort of that this idea of bug bounties expands, because that's an area that you actually do need that larger crowd to have a have a way to report because you can't as easily scan your way or, you know, have a focus pen test, try to target for those types of um, uh, types of misuse because it's, it's just a lot harder to scale from that perspective. Yeah, I don't know if LinkedIn and Twitter have official programs or not, but they are getting really, really picky with the apps you connect into those two platforms. They are. I've definitely seen some of some of the people I follow on Twitter. They've um they they've had their apps thrown off. So if you love the the '70s sci-fi art of paperback books, um that that's one of them that that, that the um uh, the the account was basically getting thrown into the same bucket as spammers because of how it was using the the API that for that matter, Twitter provides. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to see both Twitter and LinkedIn, of course, trying to fight the scrapers um, going after its content. Yep. Can you hear me now? We can. Oh. Welcome back. We, I, we have the, 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 the disembodied voice of John comes back. You're on brand for Halloween. Thank you, John. This is great. <laughs> You know, so wrapping up one last thing there on on the what I was going to say about the um, it'd be interesting to have someone on here who makes either makes their living off doing bug bounties or that's a, a pretty substantial substantial part of it. So I haven't um, I got it at pen test game before bug bounties came along, but my sense is it's probably like a Kegel competition on the machine learning side. In other words, that like you're not going to find too many of the low hanging fruit because there's so many people looking for those. And then the guys that are getting the, the, the serious prizes are the ones making money. So it's probably a, um, a pretty sharp bell curve there. Yeah, definitely be a great. So yeah, anyone listening, if you'd like to um, chat about your, your bug bounty experiences, let, let us know. That would be a great conversation to have. Cause I do know talking to a few of them myself, there's some strategies of go for the, new, you know, monitor for the new programs or look for those, you know, the, the uncool apps, we'll call them, so, sorry, apps. Um, but, but the ones that aren't the immediately recognizables, eBay, Etsy, Apple, Google, you know, those, those names that we just continuously throw out week after week, because those are the apps that possibly, you know, if they're, they're less popular, so they're not being looked at as much. And what's kind of interesting, too, you also start to encounter a couple of the researchers um, who have a new and clever bug and then go um, essentially shop it through a couple of different bug bounty programs. Um, so I, I won't exactly – I don't want to call this quite bug laundering, um, but there was a great example. We talked even a while back about HTTP request smuggling or HTTP desync attacks. And um, James Kettle, um, Albino Wax, he went through a couple of bug bounty programs um, once he figured this out and said, oh, here's a vulnerability, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. And you can make some good coin off of that. Um, and you can also, for that matter, have that money be also sent to um, a charity instead of yourself. So not to say that these are bad actors in terms of gaming the system, but it's pretty interesting to see that type of thing happen because I've seen in the past before, someone come up with a, a vulnerability that they're going to release at a DEF CON or a Black Hat, 
And in the few months beforehand or the very month right after, they will hit a hand like five or six uh, bounty programs and say, hey, you're vulnerable to this, you're vulnerable to this, you're vulnerable to this, and just make that few thousand dollars a pop each time around. Um, so, so it's kind of the interesting strategies that emerge from the game theory aspect of these types of programs. Uh, but that was, a, there, there's a lot of other things that can emerge here, but the, hopefully the things that do emerge are um, better security for your application, whether it's mobile, whether it's a web application, whether it's IoT, um, which has even harder um, challenges to it in terms of dynamic application pen testing. But ultimately, we hope that that part of your security development lifecycle with dynamic application application security testing isn't a tug and twister, but is a good, is budget well spent. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to return with news of the week. 